Hi, and welcome to Walk Talk, a podcast courtesy of the Wound, Ostomy, and Continence Nurses Society. Walk Talk is your opportunity to learn more about advocacy, education, and research that support the practice and delivery of expert healthcare to individuals with wound, ostomy, and continence care needs. Please visit wocn.org slash podcast to subscribe and make sure you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Jody Scardillo. Welcome to this week's edition of Walk Talk. I'm your host, Jody Scardillo. This week, we welcome Catherine Wallander. Catherine was the recipient of the Barbara Braden Future is Bright Award at the WOC Next Conference in Fort Worth, Texas last June. She works as a certified wound ostomy incontinence nurse at Houston Methodist Hospital in Houston, Texas. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to talk to you and congratulations on your Future is Bright Award. That's really a great achievement. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Good, good. So first of all, tell me a little bit about your nursing background before you became a WOC nurse. So I've officially been a nurse now for 11 years. And the first six years, I was working on an inpatient orthopedic unit. So we would see, you know, total hips, total knees, amputations, INDs. And on that unit, I was the preceptor, the charge nurse, whatever, jack of all trades. And from there, I moved into the WOC and nursing position at the same hospital at Houston Methodist and the Texas Medical Center. Nice. And what kind of an organization is that? I think it's a pretty big, big place, right? Tell us a little bit about that and maybe tell us about your team there because I know that you're not there by yourself, right? Definitely not here by myself. So Houston Methodist is an academic institution in the Texas Medical Center, and we have 950-ish beds and also a skilled nursing facility attached to us and a rehab. So our team is made up of seven WOC nurses with lots of experience. So I am the youngest person on our team and we are just full, chock full of so much experience and they're wonderful. And we see all the people in the hospital. So we go anywhere, rehab, skilled nursing, ICU, and we see them for wounds, continence, or ostomies and anything outpatient. So we'll see our ostomy patients outpatient in the wound care clinic. We borrow a room from them and see them there. So that's kind of what we do here. Okay. So you're all over that big place then? All over the big place. And we have a couple of satellite hospitals, but they have their own WOC nurse. Okay. It sounds like you have enough to do where you are, right? Yes, definitely. We have enough to do where we are. And how do you organize your team there? Like if you have seven people, do you like divide it by area or practice type, you know, like cardiology or critical care? Or how do you work that where you are, Catherine? So I know a lot of places do that, but here we don't. So we know some people like ostomies more, for example, versus wounds. So we try to divide it kind of like that if we can, but we all go everywhere. So We try to keep people in a similar location for that day, but then we'll rotate it the next day. So we don't have an assigned unit or assigned building. We go everywhere. Okay. And do you get consults like walk nurses in other places and then have a list of patients you follow too? Or how does that, how do you get your list of patients that you see? So we can be consulted. We have a nurse driven consult, so we can get that for any ostomy or pressure injury. And then we also, the physicians can consult us for negative pressure wound therapy or any advanced type wound care that they might want. 
but yes, so we do have a consult and we also have physical therapy wound care here and we divide the patients with them. Okay. All right. Good. That's kind of an interesting interdisciplinary way to do things, right? I bet that works out well. It's really nice. It can be confusing for new staff members for sure, but it definitely helps lessen the load for everybody at such a big hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And so what got you on the path of WOC nursing? So you were on this orthopedic floor and doing all of the stuff there. What drove you to go in this career direction? So at the time, we were just starting at our hospital, the Wound Treatment Associate Program. And one of the WOC nurses who nominated me, Janet Ramundo, she was in charge of this program. And my manager asked me to be the representative from her unit to be a WTA. So I took the course and I loved it. I had no idea I liked wound care particularly much, right? I worked in orthopedics. We didn't do a lot of wound care. And I absolutely loved it. And I was like, Janet, how do I become a WSC nurse? And so she guided me like what schools were available, you know, scholarships, how to do it. And I just went ahead and did it myself. And then when I was done, they had a position open. So I was hired in the department. Oh, nice. So that was perfect timing then. Oh, yeah. It worked out super perfect. Someone was leaving for a different role. And there was a space that just popped open right at, as I finished school. Yeah. It was a sign, right? That this was the right thing for you. Oh, yeah, for sure. I don't think it could have been any clearer. That's great. How long did it take you to do the walk program? And did you work while you were doing that? Tell, tell us about that a little bit. So it took me almost a year, but it was mainly because, you know, we had to get contract with a school to be allowed to precept at the hospital. So that was the delay. And it took me about a year to finish a school and the entire time I was working. So I was working on the orthopedic unit and it was three shifts a week. And so the other days I was doing the WOC program and then would do the clinicals on my day off days. Wow. So you were busy during that time frame. I was busy, but it was fun. Good, good. And so, as you said, Janet, one of your colleagues nominated you for this award and wrote a beautiful nomination. What did you think when you found out you won the award? Boy, I was so honored. And I was also, if I'm totally honest, was like, oh, I have a little imposter syndrome here. Are you sure that it's (laughs) me that should get this? But it was definitely very exciting. And Janet assured me that I was more than qualified and so did my coworkers. So I was just completely honored and a little blown away that I was considered and that someone would take the time out to nominate me for an award. Yeah, that was great. Well-deserved. And so you're involved in a lot of projects. You see a lot of patients there and then you're involved in a lot of different projects. So I was hoping you can tell us about some of those because you know how we always want to hear how other places and other walk nurses do things and what's good and what isn't. So I was hoping you wouldn't mind sharing some of your experiences that Janet talked about in your nomination. And first being, you developed some teaching tools. And so I wondered if you can, there was a poster with some wound products I remember reading and some other things that went very well. So I wondered if you talk about those a little bit for us. Sure. The poster you're referring to is For the WTA course, we previously had this poster with some wound care product photos. And I was like, well, why don't we make this a little easier to understand? And so we color coded the different products. So it would help guide the nurses. Is this dressing absorbent 
or hydrating? Is it a filler or cover? Is it antimicrobial or antibacterial? And so each of those things had a color identifier. And then you would have the wound care product photo and the different colors behind it if it meant more than one category. So if it was like a silver impregnated foam dressing, you know, it might be like an antibacterial cover, right? And absorptive, perhaps. So it would fit all three categories. So that was that board. And that was initially made for the WTA program. But now we use it for like when we teach some of the new employee orientations, we take it to that. So they kind of understand what the different products are. And it goes over, is it shallow wet, shallow dry, deep wet, deep dry? So they have an idea of what are we thinking about when we see a patient, about when we recommend a specific dressing. More recently, I made a couple of tip sheets for the nurses on the floor. So these were like, how do you do a basic ostomy pouching? Like what supplies do I order if I don't know anything about ostomies and the patient has no idea? What do I order for them and how do I change the pouch or what do we do for moisture management or skin tears? And then we uploaded it to the nursing intranet and all of them have a QR code. So on the units, they have access to the QR codes where they can scan it and immediately on their phone, get access to these documents. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. You know, the technology generation doesn't like to have to look too hard for this stuff. And so it's super convenient. How did you market that like to nurses? So like at 11 o'clock on Saturday night, when somebody needs that ostomy information, that nurses know it's there. Cause that's my struggle. Like we have all these tools and then you're like, Oh, people are like, oh, I don't know what was there. So tell us what, how you manage that where you are. Cause I'm always looking for help in that arena. So every unit it's a little different. But where I find it to be implemented the best is on some of the work on wheels computers. They have a little tag on the side with a booklet of QR codes, like a small little booklet. And there's like a wound care tab on it. And so they can go to that. And that's all the little QR codes for that topic. So they have it right at their computer. Other units have it on a poster in their supply room. So they can go to the supply room and they see a list with the QR code labeled for what it is and they can scan it in there. We advertise it on like our little, they're called Maddie boards, but they're like the little TVs in the halls. And you're going to see this rolling out on your unit. So the nurses knew that something was going to be coming. Okay. So you didn't, you kind of did that broadly. You didn't have to like go around and go to every unit and talk to people and all of that. Because we have the WTA program, we have a every other month meeting and we give them that information and then their responsibility is to take it to their own units and implement it in a way that is what they think will be most effective for their coworkers. Okay. Okay. That's a good idea. So that QR code is a great idea because even if you don't know that that info's there, if you go to that wound tab, for example, you'll find information that you might not even have known was there. Right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know where you are, but I know in our bathrooms here and our staff bathrooms, they just have papers plastered all on the wall. Wallpaper. And so I know yeah, people are scanning them while in the bathroom. Oh, that's what you could do. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a great idea. And then I know that you're heavily involved in a pressure ulcer prevention initiative in your periop areas. So that sounds like that was a big project and it's still ongoing. Is that right? Yeah. So we have a, you know, our general hospital pressure injury prevention council. And about, let's say three or four years ago, we developed this subcommittee called the perioperative pressure injury prevention committee. And it's made up of mostly perioperative nurses. And then it's me and one of my coworkers fills in when I'm not there and quality. And the chairs are from the periop area. And so they're from all the different ORs, even cath lab, all different areas in the hospital. And our goal is to decrease OR attributed happies or hospital acquired pressure injuries. So we do this by improving documentation and coming up with ideas of how can we get the perioperative nurse to document and assess the skin in the pre-op area, the OR, and the PACU, and then meeting with our EPIC team to help edit some of the documentation and like make it more streamlined. We also have evaluated some mattresses and different overlays and positioners and mapped them. Okay. So did you end up with that evaluation selecting some type of a surface that you use across your, like your ORs and your episodic areas? How did that all end up, Catherine? Yeah. So we ended up getting the powered alternating pressure overlay and we use it mainly. We have a lot of transplant patients, a lot of transplant cases that last like 18, 20 hours because they're multiple organ transplants. And so right now they're targeted to three of our biggest ORs because they're kind of expensive and we have to prove that they are worth it. Right. And so we've noticed, and those are ORs, a significant decrease in hospital acquired pressure injuries. The other thing that we've done is we evaluate, I evaluate with the chair, all of the OR attributed pressure injuries, and we look for things that we can improve. Could we improve communication with the ICU? Did we use this product for the case? And why didn't we, if they qualified? The other thing that we looked at was, are they using the silicone foam dressings? And are they putting them in the right place for that surgery? And did you find that your, I know when we started doing that in our ORs, our usage of the silicone foam dressings went way up. So then we had to sort of justify the cost of all of those foam dressings and it sort of helped our numbers. So it was worth it in the end. But did you have that experience too with the foam? Like you don't think that costs much until you're, you know, doing a hundred cases a day type of thing. Absolutely. But I think now at this point, they're like, oh, just put it on everybody. It's fine. I think when they start doing some different positions, maybe like lithotomy or they have a chest roll and we're adding it maybe to the back or to different areas, that's when we start seeing more than maybe just a sacral one and the heels. But it's worth the cost. We've noticed a decrease by utilizing them. All right. And then you alluded to some positioners. So you have the alternating overlays on the appropriate people and then the foam dressing, the silicone foam dressing. And then what what did you do about positioning? That always seems to be a, a struggle with the bath blankets and 
you know, like nothing is was the same anywhere in our place. So uh, what did you, how did you address that? And how did that work out for you? That's definitely still a work in progress because we, we cannot streamline it in every OR because one OR preps from head to toe and they don't want something that will offload the heels as aggressively. So we've tailored it to the ORs and we basically steer them away from products that are more donut shaped or don't map well when we map the products. But we haven't found something that works for every OR perfectly. Okay. All right. Yeah. I wonder if that's even realistic. What do you think if you have a big you have a big organization and lots of diverse, you know, populations. I wonder if I feel like if it was created, that person would make a lot of money because right now I would say, I don't know that that's realistic. And everything for pressure injury prevention is one size fit all. You have to think about that particular case and what their, you know, status was preoperatively. And can you even position them with that product? And then can the surgeon get at the area if you, depending on what you do? Yeah. Will the surgeon agree to use the product even if the hospital says it's okay? Yes. Yeah. How did you handle that? I've heard from other people that that was a little bit of a process to having surgeons buy into between the cost of it and then that extra step. Because when you look at a piece of foam, it doesn't really look like it would, you know, solve huge problems, but we know it often does. So I think having this committee that's full of the perioperative nurses from the different ORs has really helped because the surgeons know them and they trust them. So if they're coming to them and saying, hey, doctor, so-and-so, like this is really what's going to help. And if they have a concern with that or they say no, then we escalate it to our chief quality officer. And then they're more peer-to-peer and they can say, no, we're going to use it and you're going to agree to it. Of course, There's always going to be an outlier, but unless they're a surgeon that performs very extensive and long cases, you know, it's probably going to be okay. It's the ones that are doing the over five hour, 18 hour, 20 hour cases that were like, no, we absolutely need to do this. And then generally they want it done anyways, because they've seen their patient they just transplanted end up with a stage four pressure injury from the OR. And then they're like, oh, no, we just translated this patient and they're sick still. And the recovery is extended. Yep. Do you have a time frame, like a case greater than or is that individual to your facility? Like, is there an hour cutoff, like whatever, four, six hours? And and how do you how did you figure that out? So any case over three hours, you implement like the silicone foam dressings, we have a checklist. So if they meet certain criteria or if their albumin is a certain level or their ASA is a certain level, then they get it as well. Pretty much it ends up being any case over three hours though. And then the transplant patients all, the hope is that they all get the overlay on their operative table. Okay. If money weren't an object, would you have overlays on like all of your tables or what, what do you think? Is that too much? Do you have a thought on that yet? I think the problem we're having issue with is in the cath lab and having an overlay that works in that area that the physician agrees to have. So if we can have it everywhere, sure, if costs weren't an issue, 
But I think we've targeted areas that have been the problems for the happies. So, you know, there might be one or two outliers from those areas that did have it that still are getting kind of pressure injury, but it's very minimal and we don't have a lot more. So it was mainly these two or three ORs that were causing them. So now our problem area is the cath lab and coming up with a product that everyone agrees to use in that area. Okay. So rather than just making these huge blanket changes, you really looked at your your situation and your data and came up with a good plan, it sounds like. Yeah, because it doesn't really make sense. Like, why would we put it in the OR that does ENT? Are they going to be there particularly long? And are they high risk when they went in to begin with? Right. And so you'll be working on that group for as long as you're in that role, right? Because you can't like just fix it and then say goodbye, right? That's the walkers. Absolutely not, right? Everything's ongoing. And sometimes you feel like you're starting back over from scratch. But it's a great group to work with. And I've learned so much about the OR that I had no idea. It's a totally different world than the floors, but it's great. Yeah. So that was nice for you too, because I bet you have now relationships with the OR nurses and then also you know a lot about their positioning things and some of those things that we would have no idea about. Yeah. I think it's wonderful making connections with people in the hospital because in the future, if we want to implement any changes, we have more people in our corner that can advocate for that change and see how that's beneficial to the patients. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And you develop some type of a spreadsheet that you use to help track the WOC role in your organization. I'm very interested to hear about that. So fill me in about that. So, you know, administration likes to know what we're doing, what our numbers are, and how many patients can you see in a day? And so I track daily in the spreadsheet, number of new consults, number, like if they're complex. So we decided as a group, what is considered a complex visit? So we decided that was a visit that took over two hours and or required more than two WSC nurses. So how many of those new consoles or visits for the day were complex? How many new ostomies were created? Do we mark how many visits did we have? What type of visits were they? Did we go outpatient at all? And then that tallies daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly. And then we break that down to, okay, there were four nurses this day. We saw 30 patients and it does the formula. And it tells me on average a nurse sees X number of patients. So I can say in a quarterly report, we see eight to 10 patients a day individually, two of which may be complex. During COVID, we tracked the number of COVID visits we were making. So I could say we saw 978 patients with COVID. We also have a spreadsheet that I keep that tracks our non-patient facing time. How long did it take us to prepare for that meeting? What education did we provide? Who do we provide it to? How long did that take? How long was the prep? So we can quantify our time, like what we're doing and say, okay, X number of hours was spent teaching. X number of hours was spent providing updates to policies. And then we were in meetings, however many hours. And then that way I submit a quarterly report. 
And then that's used by our management to advocate for more staff or resources or whatever. Okay. All right. So do you store that like on a shared drive or how do you do like, so you might want to like vacation. So what happens when you're off, if you're the person that kind of leads that part of the charge, how do you handle that so that your data is good when you're not there? We used to have it on a shared drive and everyone would put in their own data. And the problem was that everyone would put it in differently. And so it wasn't wasn't particularly accurate. So what we do now is if I'm not there, we have an assignment sheet and at the bottom of the assignment sheet, people will write notes like on the master assignment sheet. Like I had this meeting, it was this long or we did X, Y, Z. And so then when I come back, I can put that in the document. Okay. So that's worked the best for you rather than everybody putting or not putting in their own stuff. Yeah, it tends to just the messaging comes across the same every single time and there's less variability. So it comes off more accurate. Okay. All right. So you can really look at your trend, your peaks in terms of volume, like patient volume and volume of highly complex patients. And you really can see those trends over time, which is nice. Yeah. So, you know, we can see it's really interesting to look like we can see when the peaks of COVID happened and like when we had high volumes in the hospital and like the ups and downs from that, when we had no surgical cases, we had no ostomy or very few ostomy patients, but we had a lot of pressure injury patients, right? So you can see that in the data or in the graphs. You don't even have to know. You can just go, oh, that's when that peak happened. That's when that surge happened. And does that help you staff your department? You know, like, you know, like a lot of our peak days are Mondays and Fridays, it seems, right? So you can look at your volume on the by day of the week also and try to help figure out how to staff your department too, I would think, or you don't use it for that. We do. So definitely Mondays and Fridays are our busiest days. And then when we are doing the NDNQI audits, we staff a little bit more because we pull someone out of staffing for those days to do the validation. All right, good. And then you also are doing something about the documentation in the outpatient area. Will you talk about that a little bit? That sounded like that was a little bit of a project too. Yeah. So our ostomy clinic that's outpatient is pretty unofficial at the moment. (laughs) And we do not, (laughs) and it's as needed. And we borrow this space It's better than the closet we used to use or, you know, (laughs) (laughs) meeting in the bathrooms. We have a dedicated space that's ours that we can keep stuff in, but we don't have a way to bill or build it up in any way. Like we can only see our patients. So we're working on getting a medical director, but the thing I was tasked with by my director was to create a level of care so we could attach an E&M charge in the future. So the level of care has a legend. So if, you know, it was just a basic pouch change has a certain number of points. If they had a peristomal breakdown and I use two products, that's a certain number of points. I provided 30 minutes of education. That's a certain number of points. And then that tally goes to the one through five level of care, which can then be applied later. We aren't doing that yet. We're putting it in our note. Right. So we have our note that's integrated. We I worked with Epic to integrate it into our outpatient documentation. So we bring in the level of care to our note. 
but we aren't dropping a charge, but we, it's there when we're officially approved. Okay. So you have all the groundwork done to just go ahead and transition to that. Yeah. Once everything else lines up. Okay. Wow. That's great. So that'll be another place you'll, you'll be running to cover, right? Once you get that going. Yeah, but we, we want to, right? We want to see our ostomy patients and we want to avoid any ER visits. Right, for sure. So that'll be exciting to see how that all pans out now that you've done all the legwork for it, right? Yeah, that'll be really exciting. Hopefully it does. Yeah, yeah, good. And so what else are you going to working on besides seeing all your patients? Do you have any other projects that maybe didn't make it into that nomination that, that we would want to talk about? One thing we're really excited about that I'm not working on independently, but the department is, is we in August and September are having a couple of days for this, what we've called the wound and pressure injury skills lab. And it's kind of exciting because we're teaming up with it's our department, the WTAs, quality, PT wound care, respiratory, and the perioperative team. And each person will have a station And so the nurses can come and learn, oh, like, how do I do that documentation? Can we go over how to pack a deep tunnel? Can you show me how I'm supposed to rotate this respiratory device and know what products we have, know how to use them, be able to ask questions that they might not want to ask in front of their boss and be there all day. We're all going to be there all day for, I think, four or five days over those two months. And I think it's really nice that we were able to do it in such a collaborative way and get all these different departments that don't normally overlap to come together and do something. That sounds like a lot of organization to get all those people lined up in a certain place at a certain time. Cross your fingers for us. Okay. Okay. (laughs) It should work out great. Yeah, that's nice. So what do you do in your spare time? I know you're in school, right? And you're working full-time. What do you do when you're... I'm working full-time. I'm getting my master's. My partner and I, he has a silversmithing business. He makes belt buckles. So I help him do that when I'm off. So I'm kind of... That's my unpaid part-time job. You know, we... During the pandemic, we may have purchased an embarrassingly large number of plants that we are currently managing. <laughs> We're like, oh no, what happened? Um, <laughs> they grew too. <laughs> they, they grew <laughs> and I have to water them. So <laughs> that's currently all I have time for, but it's fun. Yeah, that's great. So most of us as walk nurses have certain types of patients that we're really drawn to or gravitate to or like really love to take care of. Do you have that particular patient? Like some people love ostomies or love a really big fistula problem to try to solve. What's your thing that you you love to do? I really love, just like you said, ostomy or fistula patients. Basically, so you, you spend the most time with them. And you get to know them the most and you can see how your, your success like helps their quality of life. So you can see what you've done has, how well it's impacted them. And I think that's really fulfilling. I do like all of the aspects. I like wound care. Fine, obviously, (laughs) but I do think it's the ostomy and fistula patients that if I could speak for my entire department is what brings us to work every day. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think a lot of people go into our role because that's their passion, really. Right. Yeah. And then the wound care is kind of separate and their pressure injuries are kind of separate. And I think the hospitals really push the pressure injury part, but we would love to just focus on the ostomy if we can. But, you know, you got to have a balance. Right, right. And then tell me about your master's degree. You're kind of almost finished with that. It, what's it going to be in? And what are your plans once you have it, besides maybe like taking a nap or something? Yeah, so I'm definitely going to take a couple month nap. <laughs> but I'm, <laughs> I am I'm doing my master's in nursing administration. So it was kind of a pandemic decision. I started in 2020. I'll be done this December. And I've been doing that part time. My coworkers were encouraging me to go. Currently, I think my plan is just to use that skill and knowledge that I've got received from the program and implement it to my current practice. Maybe in the future, I wouldn't mind taking a leadership role. But right now, I'm very pleased where I am. And I think what I've learned will be helpful for the team and better equip us so we can ask for specific capital expenses or get another staff member or a tech or someone to come help us and write those reports and do the administrative tasks that we really aren't that great at sometimes. But now I feel more empowered to do the less exciting stuff to get us the appropriate tools so we can make a better impact for our patients. Wow. It sounds like you you have a little bit of a gift for that. When you talk about some of these projects you've already done as a relatively new WOC nurse, those are big accomplishments. Thanks. I hope so. I feel like this award is definitely like, oh, I do need to make sure that I do something for the WOCN curriculum or something in the future to make an impact on our career, right? It, there's There's a certain level of pressure that you have to do something. And I think that's good. I think that motivates me to be the best I can be and offer the best care that's possible and do research that might be interesting to other people. Yeah. Contribute in some other way too. Right. Right. Yeah. That's great. What do you tell nurses who might be interested in becoming a WOC nurse? You must have nurses there that you work with that you're like, she or he'd be really good. Like, what do you tell those people? So a lot of times people come up to us and they're like, how do we become you? And we're like, (laughs) and we say, come with us for a day and see if you still like it. Because we feel, or at least our department feels like a lot of people don't actually understand what we do because different units, we do different things. So we might have the surgical floor and we're doing a lot of ostomies. So they're like, oh, they only do ostomies or The ICU is like, oh, they only do pressure injuries. So we have them come with us for a day. And then if they're still interested, we tell them about the different programs that they could go to, how you can get a scholarship to pay for it, because unfortunately it's not reimbursed by our facility to go. And then how you can get to work with us for clinicals. And we just mentor them into the role if they are really motivated. I think going to WSC school requires a lot of self-motivation. And if they're willing to enroll themselves, like they'll be great. But once they come with us, they either are like, oh, no, not what I wanted. 
but it was a fun experience or they keep going for it. Yep. Or this is really what I want. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, That's great. That's great. All right. What else is important? I did should have asked you about anything else that maybe I forgot to talk to you about that you want to share. I don't think there's anything else. I think the thing I would share is that nothing that I have done is by myself in the sense that it all required support and encouragement and collaboration with my team. So big shout out to my, the rest of my WSC nursing team here. They're fabulous. And I couldn't have done it without them. Great. All right. Well, thank you again for doing this. I appreciate it. This at the end of a busy work day. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Walk Talk. Please visit wocn.org slash podcast for additional details about this topic and the speakers. You can also get more information about subscribing to this podcast so you never miss an episode and to get the latest news and information from the WOCN Society. Again, that's wocn.org slash podcast. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode of Walk Talk. <laughs>